We all have no trouble knowing that one of the effects of this COVID pandemic is that we've all been disconnected from certain patterns in life that keep us on track. And in that disconnection, we're sort of cut off from the ability especially to make plans. You know, there's a joke in Christian circles, if you want to make God laugh, tell him what your plans are. And uh, if you want to make anybody laugh right now, tell them what their plans are, because uh, it may change at, at any moment. The net effect of this is a sort of shrinking world for us all, a, a kind of list of things that uh, we've sort of set aside for a time, a list of things that maybe we can't do. And the question that this situation begs constantly is, where do we have agency? What can we do? If there are things that we cannot do, then, then what can we do? And that's kind of the point of this sermon series on faithfulness. I was thinking about the things that we can do in this time where it's hard to make plans, hard to keep track of what we can do, and hard to keep track of even what we cannot do. And I think choosing faithfulness is one of those ways in which we have agency. Choosing faithfulness, especially to those relationships that are closest to us, in those closest concentric circles where we continue to find ourselves even in this time. Faithfulness in relationship to God, to spouse, to family, to friends, to neighbor those who are in those closer in concentric circles in our lives. And so I wanted to explore what does faithfulness look like? And I think Psalms 9 through 17 give us a picture of what faithfulness to God looks like and what it looks like to hold on to and invest in relationship with God in a tough time. These psalms, 9 through 17, all bear the, the label or the title that they are psalms of David. And they have an interesting kind of connection with one another because they all speak of faithfulness in the midst of wondering if God is being faithful to us. <laughs> wondering if God is around, wondering if God hears, if God sees, if God is present. David's prayers are prayers where he chooses faithfulness to relationship with God in times when things are not going well, where God feels distant or silent or maybe even absent. And so what does faithfulness look like in those times where it feels like God is silent or distant or absent? Last week, we looked at an aspect of faithfulness that I think is in Psalm 9, which is gratitude, that to be faithful is to be grateful. This week we want to look at Psalm 10, and to be faithful, how to be faithful is to choose trust. So let's look at Psalm 10 together. Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked persecute the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes they have devised. For the wicked boast of the desires of their heart. Those greedy for gain curse and renounce the Lord. 
In the pride of their countenance, the wicked say, God will not seek it out. All their thoughts are, there is no God. Their ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of their sight. As for their foes, they scoff at them. They think in their heart, we shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, we shall not meet adversity. Their mouths are filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under their tongues are mischief and iniquity. They sit in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, they murder the innocent. Their eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. They lurk in secret like a lion in its covert. They lurk that they may seize the poor. They seize the poor and drag them off in their net. They stoop, they crouch, and the helpless fall by their might. They think in their heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Rise up, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Do not forget the oppressed. Why do the wicked renounce God and say in their hearts, You will not call us to account? But you do see. Indeed, you note the trouble and grief that you may take it into your hands. The helpless commit themselves to you. You have been the helper of the orphan. Break the arm of the wicked and the evildoers. Seek out their wickedness until you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nation shall perish from this land. O Lord, you will hear the desire of the meek. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice for the orphan and the oppressed so that those from the earth may strike terror no more. Let's pray. Our hope, our confidence, let nothing shake. That's the song we sing to you today, Lord, that is our prayer. We pray for the ability to remain faithful for the ability to be seated in a place of trust. Help us to see what that is and empower us to take that seat. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In reading Psalm 10, one of the stories of Jesus' ministry that comes to mind for me is the story in John 6 where Jesus is giving what's called the bread of life discourse, and he says to his disciples, to all of those gathered around, his disciples, his 12 disciples are with him, and then he is saying this to the, to the gathered community, that at one point, he, after calling himself the bread of life, he says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink the blood of the Son of Man, you will have no part of me. And John tells us, right afterwards that many people who were following Jesus went away because the ick factor of that was just too much for them. Eat your flesh, drink your blood. Are you calling us to some sort of strange cannibalism? Is that what following you is about? And so many went away. And then at that point, as Jesus watches them go, he turns to the twelve and he says, will you also go away? And it's Peter who speaks first, which is not unusual. Peter is almost always the one who speaks first. 
in many of the gospel stories. Peter is the one who speaks first, and he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? For we believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter speaks first and expresses trust. To whom shall we go? We've gone down this road too far to be people who are turning back. We've, we're going to have to trust you here. We don't get it either. We don't understand, uh, but we know you. And we know enough to stick with you, even when we're scratching our heads trying to figure you out. So we'll trust you. We'll keep going. We'll choose faithfulness. But you're going to have to tell us more about that thing you just said. Psalm 10 is a prayer that expresses a similar kind of trust to the trust that Peter expresses in that gospel story in John 6. Because things are not going well when David writes this psalm. As we saw, it was a litany of injustice and unrighteousness and absolute opportunism that the wicked are taking advantage of to oppress those whom they can oppress and get from those whom they can get. And those who are winning at this time ought not to be winning. And so David laments. They're getting away with injustice and murder. And worse yet, they're assuming that God doesn't see it happening and that they've been successful at keeping it from God. And so those first 11 verses are just a litany of, of wrongdoing that is taking place. And, and the complaint of David is, is very clear in those first 11 verses. And then comes a petition. Lord, for heaven's sakes, do something. Rise up, O Lord. Lift your hand. It ought not be this way. And then complaint gives birth to memory. That choice to engage, that choice to say, God, you need to do something about this, that choice to intercede, to give that voice of supplication to God, gives birth to memory. It triggers awareness. And what the psalmist remembers is simply, God, we know who you are. We've experienced enough of you to recall your character, to have experienced your heart, to understand your ways and your desires. And so the petition begins in verses 14 and following. They think you don't see, O God, but you do see. They think you don't hear, but you do hear the desire of the meek. You've been a helper to the orphan in the past, and you will strengthen the hearts of the oppressed in the future. We know who you are, O oh God, so we'll remain faithful 
we'll choose at this point, all of the evidence aside, we'll choose at this point to trust. And part of the expression of that trust is really the risk of airing a complaint. Part of the expression of that trust is the belief that we can moan a little bit in God's presence. <laughs> it's knowing that the relationship can withstand the questions. Knowing that the relationship is not so fragile that it cannot tolerate a complaint. It's knowing that God is not brittle or easily offended. It's knowing that God's faithfulness toward us can weather our confusion and the questions that we have for God and about when God is going to act and bring it about. And it's why Jesus says what he says in Matthew 7 that Linda read earlier in the service. Ask, knock, seek. Don't hold back. Pray. Get into conversation with God. Ask. That's to trust the relationship. Asking is, is risking the question. Are you there? Do you care? Can you see? I don't know about the rest of you, but one of the questions that comes toward me often from Marianne is, where are you? That's the kind of thing that we're talking about. We're talking about the trust that's willing to take the risk of the question. Trust is the vulnerability of exposing our need for reassurance, if you will, of admitting that we're toying a little bit with mistrust, that we're toying a little bit with wanting to step back, we're toying a little bit with just going in the other direction, so are you there? Articulating the doubt of the moment and giving ourselves the space to remember, if you will. God wouldn't give us a rock if we asked for bread. God wouldn't give us a snake if we asked for a fish. The request and the complaint is its own kind of expression of trust because it's trusting enough to express our dance with mistrust in the moment and being honest with the relationship. It's that risk of believing that the relationship can withstand the tension of this uncertain moment. I heard my colleague Earl Palmer tell a story more than once when in the 17 years that I was there. I, pastors tend to repeat themselves. As you know, pretty much I have one sermon and uh, <laughs> I keep preaching it each week. But he told this story quite a few times and it was a story about Henrietta Mears, the, the great Christian educator from Hollywood Presbyterian Church and kind of an eccentric saint in that congregation. 
And someone at one point was interviewing her toward the end of her life and asked her if she would do anything different if she had her life to live over again. And she said, yes, I would trust God more. And I, I like the boldness of this line, and I like the intent of this line, but I must confess it also makes me kind of scratch my head because that word more is what gives me pause. <laughs> I'm not sure it's possible to trust more or less. It's just possible to trust or not trust. <laughs> I think we live in those poles of having periods of trusting and periods of not trusting. Not periods where we trust a little bit and periods where we trust a lot, but periods where, like this psalmist, we wonder where God is and whether or not it's worth trusting, or periods where, like Peter, we say, I will never leave or forsake you, or where else shall we go? So I like the boldness, but trust is something we, I don't think, have more of or less of. For in fact, we can't carry varying amounts of it. We either trust or we don't. And there will be times, my friends, when we don't. In our relationship with God, in our relationships with others, trust may have been broken in some way. And so we wonder in those moments how to get it back. But here's the thing about trust. You either have it or you don't, but it expresses itself in different ways. It can be Peter's bold statement of, I never will leave or forsake you when Jesus says you'll all run away, when he predicts his passion and he says you'll all run away, and Peter says, no, not me, not me. I'll never leave or forsake you. Or it can be in Peter's honest confession, Lord, to whom shall we go? In other words, I'm not really digging being with you right now, but where else am I going to go? What else am I going to do? Who else will I turn to who can be who you have been to me? We're in too deep to go looking for someone else. So we'll weather the confusion. We'll be still and we'll wait. We might not get you right now, but we're pretty sure we're on the right road, and so we're pretty sure we're going to stick with you. Because you do see the injustice. You will hear the cries of the oppressed. You will bring justice. You will put things right. Let's pray. Whether in boldness we declare our unfailing loyalty, or whether in confusion we say we'll follow anyway. Lord, you call us to relationship, and so you call us to faithfulness, and so you call us to trust. But so also do you extend yourself in faithfulness, and so also do you entrust us with your love. Help us to rest in that spot. And to go in spite of the confusion and the confidence that you aren't going anywhere. And even though we feel like we're stumbling along behind, we know it's worth the journey.
For all of this, we pray in your name. Amen.